Shalom everybody here from Jerusalem and welcome to another teaching session here from Jerusalem uh, regarding uh, the spirit of Amalek. We have been speaking about the spirit and the manifestation of the spirit of Amalek uh, recently here on this program and we would like to uh, add a second part to that in order to help you to better understand what is at work right now in this conflict that is unfolding in the Middle East, but also on a long term, how to strategically pray for Israel, uh, the Jewish people, but also its Arab neighbors. Now, the spirit of Amalek we have seen in the last teaching, and I want to uh, invite you to watch part one of this teaching session, uh, where we lay the foundation of the spirit of Amalek. Amalek is first mentioned in the Bible as uh, the grandson of Esau. Uh, we read in, uh, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 36, Genesis chapter 36, verses 10 and 12, uh, verse 10 we read, and these are the names of Esau's sons, and uh, the first son, son was Eliphaz, the son of Adar. Now Eliphaz is the first son of Adar, and in verse 15, verse 15 of Genesis 36 we read, and these are the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, the chiefs Teman, Oman, uh, Tsepho, Kenas, Korah, Gitam, and Amalek. That means Amalek was uh, the son of the firstborn of Esau or the grandchild of Esau. And the rabbis inform us that uh, Esau was it who inherited uh, the hatred of his father, of his grandfather Esau against his twin brother Jacob. Uh, Amalek inherited the hatred of his uh, grandfather Esau against his twin brother Jacob. Now the root of this hatred of Esau against his twin brother Jacob has three main reasons as the scripture uh, describes us. We need to remember when Jacob came back uh, from uh, his exile in Haran, and he brought back his 11 sons back to the land of Israel. Esau met him with 400 soldiers, and he was there to attack him, including especially the women and the children. But why such a hatred? Why was Esau so inclined against his brother uh, Jacob? And we read the Bible gives us a number of answers here. First of all, uh, the very root of that took place even before Esau and Jacob were born. Remember, they were twin brothers. They were together in the womb of the mother, Rebecca. And uh, as she was pregnant with those children, she received a prophetic word from the Lord. And we read this in Genesis chapter 25, uh, Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. And the Lord said to her, this is to Rebecca. The children were not born yet. Two nations are in your womb. It means each one of those children represented a whole nation. Two people from within, you shall be divided. And the one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, the following verses tells us about the birth of these twin brothers. Esau became the oldest son that came out first. And then uh, Jacob was coming out. And uh, Esau means he inherited the blessing of his father, Jacob. And I want you just to remember, you know, what it must, must have meant for Esau, being born as a, a child and growing up and uh, 
maybe knowing, maybe his mother told him, maybe his mother told his father that there was this prophecy before he was born that even though he was the older one, the prophecy said, the older shall serve the younger. So there must have been already this sense of bitterness maybe in his heart. The second episode we read about Esau is immediately after this prophetic passage, after the passage of uh, the birth of Esau. We read now he became a mighty hunter and he was the favorite child of his father Jacob. And the Bible tells us that one day Esau returned back exhausted from another hunting season. He brought back some game and he was extremely hungry. And we read here in chapter 25, Genesis chapter 25, verse 30, and Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew that you have made because I am exhausted. And therefore his name is called Edom. Now the Hebrew word for red is Adom and that was the name, uh, became the nickname of Esau since then because he preferred that red stew, red, red stew uh, that Jacob was cooking. And Jacob said, now he wasn't immediately willing to give him that stew. He said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is the birthright to me? And he ate and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And I want to pause you to pause for a moment and just think about that. What type of man Esau must have been that he took the birthright that he had so lightly. The passage closes, he says, in this way Esau despised his birthright. That means the incredible blessing that started with Abraham, where God told Abraham, I'm going to use your nation. They will be a blessing for nations. The, all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. And I'm going to give you the land of Canaan as an eternal inheritance for you and your descendants. And he despised that just to get a quick meal on that particular day. The book of Hebrews, actually in Hebrews chapter 12, describes, describes us uh, the character of Esau. We read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 and 16, Hebrews 12, verse 15 and 16, see that there is no one who falls to obtain the grace of God. And that there is no root of bitterness springing up. Now, this is definitely something that happened to Esau. Uh, that there is no root of bitterness springing up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. And that no one is a sexual, immoral, or unholy, or the Hebrew world actually, or the Greek world says profane, like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. He despised this incredible blessing, this destiny that God laid upon the family of Abraham and Isaac. And the third time we read about, um, about the story of Esau, we read in chapter 27 how Isaac grew old and he thought he needs to give the blessing uh, to his sons. And of course, Esau was his preferred son. But uh, the mother of Jacob, it's a long story, she convinced Jacob to actually steal the blessing from his father. Maybe she said, because I had this prophecy, maybe because he was selling you the birthright for a meal. So in any way, Jacob managed to portray himself to be his brother Esau. He went in, uh, his father was falling for the deception, and then he blessed him with the following blessing, the smell of my son is upon you. 
the smell of Esau, the, the smell of the field. May God give you, this is Genesis 27, 28 and the following. May God give you the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. In other way, other words, he was putting the blessing of Abraham that Abraham received from God on his uh, son Jacob. And, uh, and you have to put yourself again in the role of Esau. He was growing up with this uh, prophecy his mother received when he was still not born. Uh, he was selling in a foolish moment of his life his birthright to Jacob. And then even Jacob was stealing that blessing, the blessing of the land, the blessing of uh, being the nation of destiny from his brother. And when Esau later on with tears came to his father, is there a blessing left for me? He says, no, I gave the maximum blessing to your, to your brother Jacob. There is nothing left over for you. So this tragic history, in a way, explains you that there was an ancient, uh, ingrained and uh, in deeply rooted hatred and jealousy against his brother Jacob. It manifested itself when Jacob returned back to the land. And the rabbis are telling us that it also manifested itself in the spirit of Amalek, his grandson, as he consistently, throughout history, not only attacked Israel, but even like in the case of Haman, tried to annihilate the whole people of Israel. Now, there is one more thing that I would like to share with you about Esau. And we find this again if we open the passage in the genealogy of uh, Esau. Uh, this is chapter 36, Genesis chapter 36. And it says here, chapter 36, verse 1, These are the generation of Esau, and that is Edom. So the first name that the Bible gives, we have seen that before, it gives Esau also the name Edom, and that's today a mountain ridge east of Israel on the east bank of the river Jordan. And then we read something else in verse 9, Genesis 36, verse 9. These are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites, again the same world, in the hill country of Seir. So there are those two worlds, the hill country of Seir and Edom, those two names that I would like you to keep in memory uh, because they became, uh, in a way, synonyms almost for Esau, and they reappear again and again in the Bible. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 5, in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 5, Israel is about to enter into the land of promise, and God tells uh, the people of Israel through Moses, he says, you don't uh, conquer, you don't attack the mountains of Edom, you don't attack the mountains of Seir, because I have given them to your brother, to Esau, as an inher in eternal inheritance. I will not give you even the sole of a, of a shoe, even the smallest part of this land, because it is given to them. So the Bible identifies Esau with uh, Edom and the mountains of uh, Seir. Now, I want us to take a, a look at a prophecy that the Bible gives us in a in two amazing passages. Now, is, the first one is a prophecy 
that we find in the book of Psalms. Uh, if you open your Bible in Psalm 83, um, it is a psalm that really is a prophetic message even for the times in which we are living in. It says here, O God, do not keep silent, do not hold your peace, uh, or be still, O God, for behold, your enemies make an uproar. Uh, those who hate you, they have raised uh, their heads. Uh, they lay crafty plans against your people. Uh, they consult together against your treasured ones. They say, Come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more, for they conspire with one accord against you, and they make a covenant. Now, this is a description of a very dramatic situation, even in these days of war right now. We are reminded in this psalm that it's a very similar situation where we are surrounded by people who literally would like to wipe Israel out from the map and want to make sure that the name of Israel is remembered no more. Uh, they have made a covenant, and now a list of nation appears. He says it's the tents of Edom. It means the tents of Esau. Uh, they conspired. The Ishmaelites, Moab, the Hagagites, Gebal, Ammon, and Amalek, and Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. Tyrus today in, uh, in Lebanon. Philistia is uh, what uh, the people in uh, was the ancient area also from what is today the Gaza Strip. And also it says Ashur has joined them. Ashur is Lebanon, it is Syria, but it's also part of Iraq and part of Turkey. They conspired against Israel, saying, Come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more, for they conspired with one accord against you, and they made a covenant. And then later on he says, The nobles won in verse 12, they say, let us take possession for ourselves of the pastures of God. That means there was this desire to take the land for themselves. And it goes back to this ancient hatred that we saw in Esau, where he realized this could have been mine if I would not have despised my birthright. If I would have been a more godly person following after the things of God, this blessing would have been mine. But there was a spirit of jealousy in him that lasted on for generations to come. Now the end of that psalm is that God will deal at the end with those enemies and he uh, will have his way. And at the end it says here, let them be put to shame. This is verse 17 and 18 of Psalm 83. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish and dis in disgrace that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. So what this psalm sees at the end is that the knowledge of the Lord will come over these nations as they strive to annihilate Israel. They will recognize at the end of the day that there is a God in heaven who is protecting their land. And I believe it also means that many of them will come to the saving knowledge of uh, this Jewish Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach, or Jesus Christ. Now there's one more passage that I want to go into a little bit more detail and we find that in the prophet Ezekiel. If you open your Bible with me in the prophet Ezekiel chapter 35, uh, the Bible describes us a, uh, a situation about the end time uh, that is relevant for us today, and I believe it explains so well what is unfolding before our eyes, not only in Gaza, but in many other countries 
that are affected by that same spirit. Um, Ezekiel chapter 35 starts, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against him. Remember again, we said Esau, his inhabitants was uh, Mount Seir. Now the prophet is called by God, turn your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against him. He said, I am against you and I will stretch out my hand against you, against Mount Seir against the uh, the inhabitants of thereof. And you can say today, those who inherited that spirit of Amalek with them. And he says, there are certain reasons why I will eventually judge you. Number one, uh, we read this in Ezekiel chapter 35, verse 5, um, 35, verse 5, because you cherished perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of their final punishment. Therefore, he says, I will brawl so because you love blood and you did not hate bloodshed. I will bring blood for blood and I shall pursue you. The first reason why God says, I'm going to deal with you, he says, because you gave room to this perpetual ancient hatred that goes back today almost 4,000 years to the very time when God uh, was calling Jacob and when Esau despised his birthright. And this hatred was carried on, was like an infectious hatred over centuries, where one generation after the other inherited this uh, Amalekite uh, um, hatred against the Jewish people. He says, you gave place, you, you gave uh, yourself over and you cherished this perpetual enmity. And if you look today in many of the, even the mosques of the Middle East, you hear this enmity, this hatred coming out from many places in the Middle East. Of course, not all the places, but there are many places that call today for the uttermost destruction of Israel and the Jewish people. That was the first reason, God, because you, you in a way built your house, your life as a house for that hatred, and you didn't turn against it. Secondly, the second reason why God uh, is uh, judging the mountains of Seir, Seir is um, verse 10, chapter 35, verse 10, because you said uh, these two nations, now remember Israel was at time two nations, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel, uh, they comprised the nation of Israel. But because you said these two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and I will take possession of them, although the Lord was there. God says there is a second, second reason, not only that you gave place and you cherished its perpetual hatred in your heart, but he says there was this evil desire in you that you want to get hold of the land of Israel, even though you knew that I was there even though you knew that the hand of God was in this land for a special purpose, even though you knew that it was given to a Jacob, to Abraham, to Isaac and their descendants as an eternal inheritance. And he says, I'm going to deal with you because you cherished uh, this jealousy and this love uh, for that nation and you wanted to possess what was not yours. And in a way, you can trace this back to all the way to the story of Esau where he might realized, what have I lost that I was given up the birthright 
and was selling it to my brother Jacob. And he says, now I want it back, it's my land. And God says, because of this hatred, because of this evil possession of what does not belong to you, I'm going to go into judgment with you. And the third reason that the Bible gives us here, he says, I will be also against you, I will go into judgment, uh, Ezekiel 35, verse 13, because you magnified yourself against me with your mouth and multiplied your words against me. I heard it, says the Lord. And that means that he, with his mouth, he was speaking not against only the people of Israel, but he was, at the end of the day, he was speaking against God. We have to remember what the Word of God says. It's very clear. It says, if you touch Israel, you are touching the apple of God's eye. If you curse Israel, you're actually cursing the God who chose them. If you go against the people of Israel, you are going against the Creator of the heavens and earth. And God says, I heard this hate speech. I heard this uh, uh, way how you magnified yourself against your brother, and I'm going to deal with you. So the first reason was, he says, you cherished in your heart this ancient hatred in your heart. Secondly, you had this evil desire for the land of Israel. You wanted to have it, what belongs to the Jewish people. And lastly, because of this prideful way in the way how you spoke against Israel, and, and by speaking against Israel, you were talking against God. And this is something for us all to remember, that the land of Israel, it is not a disputed area. Maybe the politicians, they are disputing over it, but in the mind of God, the case is clear. Uh, this land is given as an eternal inheritance. The Bible explains it so many times to the Jewish people as an eternal possession. And I want to quote here, you know, even what John Paul, the late Pope John Paul II, uh, was telling, he says, you know, the land of Israel, it is holy to three religions, to Muslims, to Christians, and to the Jews. But then he added, but it is promised only to one people, and that is the, the Jewish people. And I think this is a very wise sentence. We all might cherish the land of Israel. We all might cherish the holy places here in this land, but we have to be careful and uh, not uh, to uh, take away the right of possession or to annul the right of possession of the Jewish people to their inheritance that the Creator of the heavens and the earth gave to people to Israel as an eternal inheritance. Now here, these are the three reasons why uh, the Lord spoke against Esau. He says, I'm going to deal with you. It is repeated, if you want, in a way also in chapter 36, where the the prophet Ezekiel, in a very unusual way, he's not prophesying to people or to individuals. He says, I'm prophesying now to, you now to the mountains of Israel, the landscape that you see behind me, the mountains of Judea and Samaria, the hilltops down and the mountains of uh, uh, the Negev desert, the area of Galilee. He says, thus says the Lord, listen to the word of the Lord that I has. He says, because, he says, the enemy said of you, aha, the ancient heights, they have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, precisely because they made you desolate and crushed you from all sides, that you became the possession of the rest of the nation, meaning the surrounding nations. Therefore I'm going to restore you. And we have to remember that this land, 
it was for so many years under foreign occupation. Uh, first, there were the Roman Empire here with the Byzantine Empire and uh, uh, the Roman occupation that started even before the time of Christ. You had the uh, uh, time of the Muslim conquest that built the Dome of the Rock in the year 700, around 700 that you see right here behind me, uh, followed by the Crusades that were coming from Europe, followed by a Mameluk uh, period where um, uh, Arab tribes from the area were taking hold of this land. And then since the 15th century, 16th century, it was under the rule of the Ottoman Empire. And when uh, uh, just 180 years ago, Mark Twain was in this land, uh, he made the following entry in his diary. He says, I've never seen such a desolate land like the land of Israel. It is exactly that. They took it as a possession, he said, and they made it desolate and crushed it from all sides. All the ancient cities of the Bible, Ashkelon, Belsheba, Ashdod, some of them did not even exist anymore. They were just a heap of rubble with some Bedouin tents. The nation of Israel, Mark Twain said, I'm never going to visit uh, this land again. But then the prophet says, but now listen, you mountains of Israel, uh, you shall for shoot forth branches and yield your fruit to my people. Uh, I will multiply the people upon you, it says. I will multiply on you man and beast. I will cause you to be inhabited. I will do more good to you than even before, and your people shall possess it. It is quite amazing that this land that was such a desolate place have become indeed in so many areas like the Garden of Eden. Uh, in this land over the last 100, 120 years, more than half a billion trees have been planted across this land. Israel becomes a main agricultural exporter for Western country, and you won't Mark Twain, when he would come here today, he would not recognize this land again because the God's hand is upon them. And therefore, this is such a critical passage that we lease, that there are forces in this world that still portray this eternal jealousy against Israel. Uh, like you hear it from Iran and other countries, they say, we want to wipe Israel from the map. We want our remembrance to disappear while God is restoring uh, the nation of Israel. And God says, watch out what you are doing. You are touching the apple of God's eye and you are messing up with the purposes of God in this world. And therefore, I believe God is going to bless every nation that is standing firmly at the side of Israel. Now, let me make a few concluding remarks what this means even for us as believers today. How can we react and what should we take away from these passages? Number one, I want to, uh, first of all, also to invite the church to go in a time of self-reflection. Now, it is easy for us Christians to point to the uh, Arab people and to Arab neighbors of Israel, say, look at the hatred and the anti-Semitism that is there. This very same jealousy of Esau, this very same spirit of Amalek was within the church for many, many centuries. This jealousy manifested itself in Christianity that they wanted to dispossess Jacob like today. This Amalek spirit wants to dispossess the people of Israel. I want to read to you a passage from one of the church fathers. His mouth was called Gold Mouth. His name was Grusostom. He was the uh, bishop of the city of Antioch for many years. And he wrote the following, and this is in the 
uh, end of the fourth century, so a little bit more than 300 years after the church started, he wrote the, the following about the Jews. He said, although such beasts are unfit to work, they are fit to killing. And this is what happened to the Jews. While they were making themselves unfit to work, they grew fit for slaughter. And that means, he says, it's fully okay to kill Jewish people because they are accursed people. He also said the following. He says, their synagogues, they became a brothel and a theater. It became a den of robbers, a lodging place for wild beasts, like Jeremiah said. And then he says, he doesn't simply say of wild beasts, this is Chrysostomus, but of filthy wild beasts. And again, I have abandoned my house and have cast off my inheritance. And now Chrysostomus gives us, or Christomo, Chrysostom gives us the explanation. He says, now when God forsakes her people, what hope of salvation is then left? When God forsakes a place, the place becomes a dwelling place for demons. And then later on he wrote, You did slay Christ, you did lift up violent hands against the Master, you did spill his precious blood. This is why you have no chance for atonement, excuse or defense. No chance for, a few, uh, for atonement, meaning no future for the Jewish people. They are fit for slaughter. And this was a pure manifestation of the spirit of Amalek throughout centuries in the Christian church, which became for so long in Europe the arch enemy of the Jewish people. And therefore, when we look at this conflict, this was a disease that was even visiting the church, something that the church cherished, uh, like the mountains of Seir here in Ezekiel 35, it is talked to them about. And that's why we need also to take this passage to our heart, even in the days in which we are living in. Now, what does this mean for the Arab people? People might say, well, Jürgen, if you say uh, all the land is promised to the Jewish people, where does this leave to the Arabs? One of the main, my favorite passage in the Bible, and this gives us such a beautiful vision, not just for Israel, but for the entire Middle East, is the vision that is given to us in, Is in Isaiah chapter 19. In Isaiah chapter 19, verses 24 and the following says, There will come a time when there will be a highway that goes all the way from the north, from Assyria, through Israel, down to Egypt. And those three nations, and remember Assyria, that at that time this kingdom today is a whole set of nations. It contains today Lebanon, Syria, part of Turkey, part of Iraq, even Iran. He says this Assyrian empire there will be a way through Israel to Egypt and those three nations, and it includes Jordan and all the neighboring countries. They will be a praise in the midst of the earth. That means the Bible says there is a great future here for the Middle East. And that's why in the midst of this great conflict, even though we pray uh, for the destruction of Hamas, which is really the bearer of this uh, uh, Amalek spirit, we also at the same time, we bless the Arab nation to enter into their destiny that God has for them, that this day might come speedily, uh, that is described in Isaiah chapter 19. In Genesis chapter 70, we have to remember that God also gave a blessing to Ishmael. He did not bless only uh, Jacob and Isaac, but he also gave a blessing to Ishmael. Ishmael, God says, I also have blessed him. Jeremiah 48 and 49, 
Yes, it speaks judgment, like so many times about Israel, a judgment is being declared. But each of those nations, Moab, uh, Elam, and uh, many other countries, the passages they end that in the last days, a wonderful restoration of those nations will take place. That means there is great hope for the Middle East, for the Arab nation, and for the nation of Israel. And you might say, but what about the Palestinians that live here in this land, the Arabs that are residing here in this land? Let me read you one passage, and I want you to pray about that in your prayer groups, that this passage will be speedily fulfilled before our eyes. In Zechariah chapter 9, Zechariah chapter 9, uh, verses 6 and 7, we read the following. Zechariah chapter 9, 6 and 7. A mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod, and I will cut off uh, the pride of Philistia. The king shall perish from uh, Gaza. And then it says in verse 7, And I will take away its blood from its mouth, and its abomination from between the teeth, and it too shall be a remnant for our God. It shall be like a clan in Judah, and Ekron shall be like the Jebusite. What a beautiful future the prophet here sees for that very same reason where we see a war raging today. God says there is a future for them. The first thing that God says, I will take away the blood from between their teeth, this hateful language, this language that calls for the destruction of the Jewish people. I will give them a heart of peace. And then it says, once this is taking place, they will be a part of Israel like the remnant of Judah. They will live here among Israel like uh, the people of Israel, like a clan in Judah and Ekron will be like uh, the Jebusites. What a beautiful future that is for the region. And I want to encourage you, even as you pray in this conflict for a decisive victory, against this bloodthirsty Hamas group. I want you also to keep in mind in your prayers and in your hope and in your proclamation that there is a glorious future proclaimed uh, for the Middle East. And finally, I want to invite you also and I want to encourage you also to pray for this area like never before. Uh, pray, pray not only for Israel and for their soldiers, that's what we do on a daily basis, but also pray for a revival in the Arab world. Let me tell you one story that I repeat again and again is when I met first time Rabbi Benny Elon, the late Minister of Tourism. Uh, he passed away a number of years ago, one of the great courageous leaders in Jewish Christian dialogues here in Israel. My very first meeting with him, he approached me, said, Jürgen, I have one request from you. And he said, Honorable Rabbi, what is your request? And he says, Jürgen, Please send more missionaries into the Arab world. And I wondered, a rabbi asking me to send missionaries in the Arab world, and I asked him, how so? He said, the reason is very simple. He says, if they believe what you believe, we will have peace in the Middle East. So therefore, pray for the Arab world that God would pour out his spirit there. Pray also, according to, Ch to, to Ch Joshua chapter 2, that Rahab's might emerge among the Palestinian people, people who recognize the writing on the wall that God is bringing the Jewish people to their back to their homeland, that they will not disappear again from their land, but that they are here to stay, and that they line themselves up with the purposes of God. And the beautiful thing about the story of Rahab, 
She wasn't a foreigner in the land, but she was fully emerged later on in the lineage of Israel. She became one of the ancestors of King David. Yes, even an ancestors of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself. So we are praying these days for an army of Rahabs to stand up that are lining up with the people of Israel. And finally, I call upon the church to go um, in prayer, in a, in a strong, powerful prayer and fasting against the spirit of Amalek, because it is a vicious spirit that is still alive here in the Middle East. It definitely does not represent everybody who lives here, but it is something that needs to be prayed for, and we have to pray that God uh, will give the necessary wisdom and tools for Israel to prevail over the spirit of Amalek. So we have seen today this Amalek hatred is as old as the story of, uh, of Abraham, as the story of the Jewish people, and they constantly attacked Israel. We see there is a brotherly jealousy against him, we see, which even affected the church, where the same spirit of Amalek was right found within the bodies of the church, but also the Bible gives us hope that in our days a new thing is coming. The Jewish people are back. He will restore them. He will magnify his name through his people in the land of Israel. And God invites us as the church to stand alongside them. Let us pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you that you bless your world today, that it will bring forth fruit 30, 60, even a hundredfold. I ask you, Father, that it will become a spirit of revelation for intercessors around the world to pray for Israel like never before. Father, we ask you that this might be the time of visitation of Israel, where you pour out the spirit of grace and supplication upon your people, where they will look upon him whom you have peered. And we ask you also for the Arab nations around Israel, that you send revival to each one of them, that you do a new thing in the midst of this crisis, and I ask you also for the church around the world, for everybody who is even listening to this teaching, that you stir up their spirit in prayer to stand with Israel and your purpose for the entire region like never before. God bless you here from Jerusalem.